You are listening to You've Got Five Options show, where every week Marta and Anna abandon their five children, two partners, and one cat to make a show especially for you. An artist, a challenge, a bullshit, a wisdom, and a surprise. Tune in and feel the magic of fire. everyone this is marta and marta only uh, well not entirely only just meaning that anna is not here today and anna i must tell you i'm really missing you today it's the first show in january 2021 or 2020 2020 to be continued like uh, some of us see it so i would love to have you here but full respect to Anna needing a break mm. to figure life out. Anna has gotten a new job and she's trying to wrap her head around how to run the whole business called life. And uh, yeah, and therefore there will be some shows uh, in the nearest coming future, just a few of them, hopefully, where I will be the main host of those shows. And um we are already starting so well. We are starting with the topic <laughs> that is suicide. <laughs> and Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to 2021. <laughs> exactly. And maybe on that note, I'll just say hello, Sina. Hi. <laughs> At least as you can hear, Sina is here. So she has not committed suicide. And Anna has not either. Just to make it very, very clear. Uh, I'm the odd one out then. Oh, <laughs> yes. So as you can see, things are going great. And to make it even, you know, the challenge level to be even higher at the moment when I was leaving home to arrive here before time, relax, ease into it. In the moment when I was leaving, my husband hurt his leg. There was blood and there are kids at home. And he was the only adult. You know, we are in 2021 and uh, kids are at home <laughs> and you are working mm. and taking care of kids and so on. So I just needed to help my husband make sure that I can actually leave, that he's all right with his leg. And you know what was the cause? No. It was a toy. <laughs> he just was entering to Eric's room to help him get onto Google Meet to meet with his teachers. And there was one pointy plastic toy it was not lego <laughs> so uh, no worries so lego he stepped on it there he stepped on it with all he oh, stepped on it with all force so actually he, he it went pretty deep into his foot so he really really hurt his foot so i, I was like okay bleeding husband kid unable to go into a meet meeting kids waiting for their food for their lunch i'm like hmm Hmm, how do we go about it? I did so well. I, I, I'm surprised. I'm really, really surprised. But I managed to like, okay, stop the bleeding, get the kid on Google Meet, get the food, make sure the bleeding is to stop, make sure that the kid really is on Google Meet, make sure that the food doesn't get burned. And I prepared the food. I asked Juan if he was 100% sure that it was okay for me to leave. He said yes. And here I am. 
Congratulations. Yes. Because the other answer to a problem of such a magnitude could be could have been suicide. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but it just, for me, when I listen to it, like, life is something at the moment, right? Yeah. Uh, in general and in so many different ways to all of us. But when I listen to you share about this, it's the ability to know how to act in a situation like that. Like something takes over. Yeah. And we know. Yeah. How to we know how to respond in that situation. Yeah. And I've had situations in life where I in emergency situations went into freeze, which yeah. is horrible. It's really, really horrible when you go into freeze in these kind of situations. So I am really grateful that uh, I could uh, not go into freeze <laughs> uh, because that's I think that's it's very difficult to deal with how you feel after you have gone into freeze when someone actually needed uh, attention. Like uh, I mean attention in a sense of, of course, Juan's foot. It, it was not a life endangering situation, but uh, I don't know if one would might have a different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was definitely in a lot of pain. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, it uh, this small toy really. Which leg was yeah, it? Yeah, and it's not always about the you know the situation, like the necessarily the gravity of the situation, but this oh. I've been here in a, you know, I've been in a situation before when I went into freeze yeah. and now I'm actually capable of yeah. acting like I know we've been talking about this before. Yeah. And, and just having that experience of, oh, I can count on myself or whatever it is to you. Yeah. That experience is just, then the situation might be. Sorry, Juan. Less not, grave. Less grave. Um, <laughs> But just this, the experience of, oh, I handled it yeah. completely. Yeah, and uh, in the other situations where, where I went into freeze, I was not the only adult. There were mm. other people to take care of the situation. So maybe it's mm. just my head knows where it can let itself go yeah. into freeze and when it cannot, I don't know. Anyhow, 2021, welcome uh, with the nice beginning, nice first program, no Anna, and still with a topic that is so important to talk about today. And we always find these smart um, headlines for our programs. This time I actually am calling it with just one word, suicide dot, because I think there is no smart us topic we can make up here. Dave, you want to say something? I can see it. No, I'm I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say. No, I was thinking about the 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 suicide name, but it it is definitely a hard topic, and it's it's a hard topic that okay, I guess it was a good introduction to the topic because it is problems that we sometimes don't find a possible solution that might take someone to go and say there's no way of solving this. I'm in a state of misery or whatever it is. Therefore, the only solution that I find possible is to cease mm -hmm. completely. And I think, and I think that it was a good thing to start with that thing. No, because it's, 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 it's that state of mind that takes you to think the unthinkable, really. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for and sure. And also to kind of land in this space together yes. and being able to even have this conversation. 
Yeah. And and because it it requires something else and and we kind of need to to settle into this moment and okay be able to leave what what we came from mm. and and have dealt with that in order to be to be present with with the conversation. Yeah. So to be honest, what yeah. is the state of affairs right now and to be able to ease into the topic of the day. So I have invited Sina to talk about uh, this topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously this is because you've had that experience that you can share. It's not a theoretical conversation that we are going to have about the books we've read. No. It's actually a real life experience that you're going to share with us today, Sina. And it is uh, more than one experience that you're going to share with us. So I just wanted to start by saying really big warm thank you for your courage to come here and to talk uh, talk to us with us to the audience about this topic thank you so let us just and yeah just before we dive in I, well thank you really for creating the space for even having the conversation and um inviting me to do so and it's it's the first time that I'm talking about it in this way. I've talked about it obviously in other places, uh, in other rooms, but this in a in a more public way. And I really want to come from a place of <clears throat> respect and integrity and honesty uh, to the best of my ability right now. And also that it's it might change how I feel about it in a year. I don't know, but that what we talk about today is how I view my experience now. So I just felt like clarifying that. Of course. And of course, with this kind of experiences, it is pretty natural to that. It changes the way we perceive it and our perception can change a lot. Yes. Over time. And uh, all right. So let's just start. Of course, we assume that most of us know what is a suicide. But just starting with what it actually is. And, you know, the definition is that when you consciously take a decision to take your own life. So it is when you have come to the place where you see no other option, but just ending your life. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you view that, Sina? What do you what are your thoughts around suicide? What does it mean to you? Well, I think Dave, you put it quite clearly. It's it's a solution to 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 a problem in that way, and a very um, finite solution. When I think in it can be, we can end up there for many different reasons, but. It's for some reason you have ended in a place where you feel like this is the only solution to my life, to the pain that I'm experiencing, to some sort of event that has happened. Um, And this is the only way out. I have done everything that I could or I, I have no idea what to do. 
besides besides uh, ending my own life. Um, and often I I believe that it's it's the amount of pain that that you experience mm. that you feel like you can't take anymore. Yeah, yeah. And and you can't see your like any way out of it, like the desperation in that. So I would like to ask you, what is the first experience in your life uh, where you have had to face the situation of suicide? Would you tell us about it? Yes. Well, the first situation was um, my own experience of attempting suicide. And, and I say... With purpose, I don't say commit. I've I've thought a lot about that because it it sounds criminal, mm. like to commit suicide, like you commit a crime in some mm. way. But I think we're gonna go into that later. I just like attempting suicide or or ending ending your own life. And for me, that happened when I was nineteen years old. And for me. Re- because i've reflected upon it these days like how did i how did i end there in that space and and to me it was i felt like i had come so far away from myself and and who i had thought of becoming or being and i could not see any way that like how was i ever how was i ever gonna come back um obviously in the moment like those were not the thoughts that i had like that i had come far from myself but that's how i experience it now at the time it was like there's no way that the that i can ever make up for the things that i have done and it would be better like this belief that it would be better for others if I was not in the world. Like I felt I was creating and causing chaos in my life and and suffering for people around me. Mm. So, which um, I can tell makes me um, sad. Uh, or not sad, but just like I'm so grateful that... Uh, I survived that time to 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 explore like what life has to offer but that was like my first my first experience do you remember how it started how the first thoughts about suicide came i would say it um well life has kind of um a weird way of coming full circle because i dropped out of high school or gymnasium in the second year and went to chef school here in Aarhus. And I lived just 500 meters from where we are sitting in this studio. And honestly, I had no idea about my life, but I felt I needed a plan. Like I couldn't just drop out of high school. I, I needed to know what to do then. So I was like, I... I think I'm going to be this, you know, work with people and their um, 
uh, around food. So I was like, I'm going to go to chef school and this is what I'm, I can go this way. And I was 18 at the time. First time, you know, moving away from home. And within six months, um, I was in a pretty severe alcohol and food addiction, which had been there, you know, before. But I, had, I, I was completely bewildered how I ended up uh, like that. So that was the first time the thoughts, the serious thoughts really came Um and, and I definitely thought of it at the time, but something in me made me call my parents. So I, they picked me up from my apartment here in Aarhus and I got back and uh, got into, got some work and um, slowly recovered, but still was, my mental health was not good. And in that, what escalated was that I wasn't drinking very often but when I did I went to complete blackout and what it did to my the split it created in my um well personality but how I viewed myself um and who I was told I was when I was drinking was like I could not in any way bridge those people and and it created so much shame and guilt and I've felt like I I had to fake in a way who I was and before my attempt I had an experience where I was not even going to drink that night and I had borrowed my parents car but somehow I called them and oh you know I'm I can stay the night and I'm just gonna um, I'm just gonna stay here so I ended up drinking that night and went into a complete blackout and I we go into town and I remember some pictures from being in the town and the next thing I remember I'm waking up driving their car and I had been I found out I had been driving for um, a few hours on the highway in a blackout so these things, and that next day, I uh, I was very, very close to to ending my life at that point because I could not, I could not s- understand, like, how could someone do that? Like, how could I do that? The the shame around it, and that the fact that I could have killed someone. Um, while driving, injured someone. Um, so, again, I ended up calling my parents. I got almost, uh, how do you say that? Um, Told away? Uh, the police was uh, looking. Uh, they had gone to the police because I, I had shut off my phone uh, That after that, that event. Um, and I was just walking around. I had, I had no idea how to come back after that or how to call them and say what had happened. But uh, again, I ended up calling and I got back home. And But it was just still there. So I think after a week and a half, I, I was like, you know, this is, this is it. 
So you have planned it? Yeah. Yeah. The day before. Like I had had the thoughts of it and yeah, yeah, I had planned it. So from that event where you crossed your own borders in mm. regards to what you can forgive yourself for or you yeah. can't forgive and just let's call it you crossed your borders completely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. It took you about a week and a half to come to the place. Okay, I just can't. Yeah. 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 So you have planned it the day before? I can't, now that we talk about it, I can't remember exactly, but definitely like maybe a few days before. But I was, yeah, the day before I was like, I, I knew when my parents had to go to work and I had, I was leaving as I usually would for work, but instead I went out to the forest um, and waited until I knew my, my parents and or especially my dad had left and then I went back. And, uh, and then yeah, what happened? Yeah, then I... Um, well, I made myself a few very strong drinks and I can't remember if I had written the letter before, but I definitely, I had written a letter and then I um, took a huge amount of painkillers with the drinks. And who found you? My mom. She came back home? She came home from work and I think a part of me must have known that, well, she was going to come home, right? So she she came home and found me on the bed um, and drove me straight to the, um, to the hospital, to the ER. And they have obviously saved you because you are sitting here with us. So what happened after you have come back to your conscious awareness? Um... Well, um, obviously, the, I needed to go through the detox of it, but then I stayed two or three days in the hospital. And to me at the time, it was like uh, like I could breathe. And just this, it was probably some of the best days in that sense that there was nothing I had to do. Like I could just be there. Um, but I, the bewilderment is the word that keeps coming up for me because I still had no idea, like, um, what am I going to do now? Um, but they, I spoke with a psychiatrist and got connected to the, to the youth, um, Yeah, where they like for for young people with uh, also with you know I was got I got into get treated for food addiction at the time and so I was connected with the with the hospital for a few years after that. So you got some help for your mental health. Yes, after that. Yeah, and I also saw a psychologist. So yeah, yeah, but still I was there was still some level. Like that is what I keep coming back to some level of honesty. I, I just wasn't able to have with myself, mm. but I received the level of help that I could at the time. 
so it help you survive fully help you survive fully yeah and and get back to you know i i went back to school and so so in many ways i did recover and and felt better still there was just something so would you be willing to tell us now about your second encounter with suicide yeah and in these days of of reflecting i i could sense this feeling of a little bit of overwhelm it's yeah. like uh, i'm 33 and i felt like so much has happened in these years um but when i was 22 my mother um ended her own life yeah and it was had you asked me or anyone in our family no one saw that coming at all like i would have said that my mom that would never ever have happened but she what happened was that she fell on her bike three months before uh, she ended up um driving a car towards a tree and she fell on her bike and got a concussion and you know before that she had lived a completely normal life with my father they'd been married for 34 years and had my two elder brothers and i worked and uh, in general she, i would say that she was um she enjoyed her life so she had an accident yes. where she ended up with one of these like constant concussion mm-hmm. um uh, i don't know how it's called uh, the medical uh, state of it so she was in a pretty bad physical condition yes and but in the beginning you and the f- again the universe works in some um mysterious ways because i was moving back home just the day after she fell on her bike um I was supposed I was going to move to Copenhagen but to live with my parents for a few months before that so I was home the most of the time and in the beginning it was like you know she would laugh of it like how could I you know be so silly to um to have this happen to me so that was how it like obviously it was severe but in the beginning that was how she she responded and then slowly it it really from my perspective and i don't know how others in my family would describe it but how i view it is that it's like slowly anxiety uh fully took over in- anxiety of coming back to life of not having the physical symptoms because she she was really struggling um the fear of that not leaving or that they had that there was something that they had not seen that there was something really severely injured in her brain so it led into that and then depression so you were aware that she was depressed it in the i would put it like that in the in the last and this is only a spectrum of 3 months so mm. it's a very very short time but there was a time where i was like 
oh, this is not just the physical symptoms. Because what I knew at the time was that you you can't, you need to be gentle and you can't force, like, you need to be careful with physical activity to not, for instance, get a chronic headache. Or, mm-hmm. But at some point, it, I realized this is this is something else. And that was within, I would say, the last month. So she would maybe have a hard time standing up from her bed or how did it manifest? Um, yeah, she would be on the couch a lot, which would be unlike her. And and just this feeling of also the roles would change, mm. that I would care for her, um, take care of her in another way. And obviously my dad was there too. I had just never experienced it like that, mm. that I was taking care of her in some ways. And the other ways was emotional. Like I just, I couldn't reach her. Like when I tried to talk to her about things, I, it was just like there was a, a block and I had never experienced my mother like that. We, we, could, um, we could talk about anything. We could, we could also fight. Uh, she was probably one of the only people <laughs> I could fight with. But we could talk about what was going on. So that became very clear that something else was like it didn't feel like my mom. Mm-hmm. at all in those especially last few weeks so what happened on the day when she ended her life um what happened was that she had been um she did go to the doctor and had gotten a prescription for antidepressant and she was seeing a psychologist that had been driving her the friday before this happened sunday And, you know, my dad was obviously with her. I was going to um, to Copenhagen. Um, and so she had been at the psychologist and then it was how I remember it was that on the Sunday she had been feeling quite bad and I was, I had just stopped by my parents' place um, to pick up a book. So I had seen them and I had seen her and they were both like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough day. And uh, she had called the psychiatric emergency. For some reason, they didn't take her in. Um, we did speak later to, to a doctor about that. Um, and... Then they had agreed that she and well, her and my dad would go to her own doctor the next day to like, okay, what do we, what do we do? Um, and in order for that, um, you know, my dad went to work for a few hours just so that he could be off the next day. And none of us really knows what happened in those hours um but in those hours she she wrote a letter and she um got behind um well she got into the car and and drove 
maybe 10 kilometers and and hit a tree intentionally but she didn't she didn't die immediately we thought she was going to survive okay so she actually reached for help to the psychiatrist mm-hmm. hospital yeah so and she did not get the help or she was not admitted the, the doctors did not evaluate it as a severe case no she so, wasn't in the system yeah and then she uh, she was going to get the help the next day but that was an unimaginable amount of time i can take yeah for her and she just uh to pick up the car she drove into and so police found like emergency was called police found her and you yeah. thought she was going to survive yeah it was a farmer uh, who we we went to speak to him a week later but he found her and yeah she went to the hospital and they had her i think she was in surgery for eight hours and had lost her right leg um due to injuries and and so yeah so we were told that um that she was gonna like that she would survive and something in me was just like how how do you survive this mm. and she had had a concussion three months before and i was like obviously she must have had one again mm. and she would have to live without her leg there was just it just felt excruciating to think that she would have to live that way mm. and those were also very contradicting feelings to have at the time because obviously you want your mom to live and at the same time i well i also spoke with my father and my brother around this it also felt unimaginable to if she would have to to live that way um being being disabled in that way like how how she was to recover from that yeah she was already so yeah having such a unimaginable un- unimaginably hard time recovering from the first injury yeah and that would be even a more severe injury yeah. so how did you survive that well well first of all i I was blessed to be with um well a really incredible boyfriend and partner at the time. I think he he was he, he was just my rock. Um bec- because I absolutely uh I don't know. I didn't feel like fall apart immediately, but I everything just shattered in me and obviously i you know i could i could i had my dad and my brothers um but one of my brothers were living in in washington dc and my dad and my eldest brother were in the same time same town i grew up in and i was in copenhagen so I went back to work after two, not even two weeks. 
started working 40 hours and I don't know I think I was just I had no idea how to deal with that at all I I can see it now as I was I felt so separated like when I was talking about it I I felt like I was talking about some like movie exactly and I yeah. think you know yeah what I mean um but but it wasn't me like I was like I was separated from the event and I I didn't feel like I had anything any way to dealing with that so um alcohol slowly for me became the way so the first your first reaction was like kind of try to hang, hang on to life as you knew it yes to the job that you had and and i became you know taking back to your experience what you shared in the beginning like i became when it happened um i became like razor sharp i've never experienced anything like that and you don't know you don't know how you react in a situation like that before you do and i've had other situations where i didn't react like that but i became razor sharp and extremely rational extremely logical in the way that i went to it so yeah i was i was i didn't feel like at all going back to copenhagen um to go back to work at all but somehow i think in that's what i ended up doing and yeah just trying to find some sort of of everyday life yeah so you said that you didn't like fall apart at the beginning but you felt like everything shattered anyway so it must have been one of these life situations where like two realities are ongoing mm. at the same time but eventually so you you did mention alcohol you started to use alcohol as a way out as a way to cope with it how how did you how did it what kind of role did alcohol play for you at that point well in the beginning um none but um and and in the beginning i could cry on my own or with my with my boyfriend at the time but i would i would say like i i felt like i slowly numbed in a way like the shock had been so massive and yeah well i got back to work but then you know eight months later i was i just couldn't i couldn't i couldn't work anymore and i had tried to um negotiate a, a part-time work but that was not going to happen at the time and i think after that i'd i it slowly just i i went i would say that anxiety kicked in i had experienced that before uh, obviously and also also as a kid so i would say anxiety kicked in and just completely again bewilderment like how do i how do i even how do you move on from this mm. and so within i think a year and a half after i i broke up with my 
boyfriend, then that's where it really like, like I think in the time, you know, being with the, like I definitely had um, incidents while being with him and he, he definitely suffered from that uh, in, you know, being with someone in, who's in struggle like that and, and, uh, you know, going into blackout. Uh, the scare of that as as a partner too so but after we broke broke up I would say from that time and until I finished alcohol like it was it was an ongoing on and off and on and on on and off process of um of of drinking so how long were you in that process that must have been four four years Yeah, four or five years. So you didn't know how to move on from something like that. And that's a very fair point to say. We have already talked about it actually together with uh, mm. with Fatima when she was talking about her grief. And you cannot move on <laughs> from that. You, It's something you can maybe move through <laughs> somehow. Um, so what happened for you uh, How do you see it now as when did the healing started happening? Um, I would say one of the, and well, I got some work in a kindergarten. Um, in like my mom ended her life in 2010 and in 2013, I got work in a kindergarten with, uh, with special kids and, um, You know, in that time, I could manage it to the weekend. And obviously, I didn't look at it as any form of addiction at the time. But that work and being surrounded by incredible women and colleagues, um, that definitely created like some safety in my life for starting to even look at how I felt. And I read a book Uh, called Wild by Shell Strait, which was probably the first time someone actually, I felt she explained how I felt because she talks about um, losing her mother. And when I read that book, uh, some sort of seed of hope, I think, kicked in because also of her journey, which looked a lot like mine. Um, and there was some sort of seed of hope. And then in um, February 15, I had finally like, you know, I'm done. I'm absolutely done with alcohol. And I seeked, I seeked help and, and received it in, in um, Alcoholic Anonymous uh, in AA and became sober. So that was like, that was the first part you know, of, of becoming sober. So when you mentioned that it was actually a book, mm. someone did manage to put in words yeah. how you were feeling, I think that this is something that is so important when we talk about suicide. Yeah. Because this is just such a difficult topic for people to talk about. And you did mention one part of it, which I think is really crucial. We start by calling it commit suicide or... In Danish, you have uh, also it's like yeah. your own murder. Go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it it almost like gets you 
to think as it is something criminal. Mm. It's almost, yeah, it's... Uh, and, and that already makes it so difficult and it already makes it to be something where which creates shame and guilt and even from different religions uh yeah committing suicide is definitely seen as a crime and as a sin and as something that you will go to hell yes if you do that so having all that extreme uh narrative around suicide and you are experiencing it I mean, in your case, from your own perspective, recovering after you have attempted it yourself and then living with it after your mom has ended her life. Yeah. So how did you experience that ability to talk about it? How did it, how did it work in your life? Well, I will say recovery has a huge part of that because it was the first time like entering into these rooms where I would say brutal honesty, which is, it's, it takes radical honesty to becoming sober. And what people shared, I was like, can you talk about this? And in this way, and can you laugh too of this? Like, and I don't know, it created s such a freedom in me to well, release some of the burden and, and also go through all of these uh, pain points of my of shame and guilt that I had experienced in my life and, and to actually start, you know, releasing because it's heavy. Mm. It's really, really heavy to walk around with that. And, and just to start, well, sharing about it, talking about it, listening to other people's stories and what other people had gone through and knowing that oh it is something that you can overcome and it's and it's important that for me that was my journey right to to learn to talk about it so from your experience being able to talk about it honestly honestly is a vital part of the healing process crucial crucial part but what did you, so, so that's something you, you say, recovery. So I understand your mom uh, attempted or ended her life in 2010. Yeah. And it's 2015 when you are starting to talk about it. So five years you were actually walking around with that heaviness. And plus some years uh, before from your own. I did go to a psychologist. I forgot to mention that. But mm -hmm. I did go to a psychologist and who was also an immense, um, I'm glad that you, you bring that up because I would not f want to forget her because she was a crucial part also of the journey for me to being able to go into recovery. Um, but she, she mentioned these, um, like how the, that it was, that it even was a trauma mm. and how it had kind of locked in my brain and I received, uh, a very, um, some very beautiful uh, healing from her, definitely. How, how, what was the reaction of your surroundings? How did the, the small town you, you were growing up in, where your father was living, how, what was the reaction that you have met when it happened? Well, in the beginning, it's, um, you just, it's more of a sense, like you sense 
it's not so explicit. Um, but you just sense how some, they cross the other street or they they don't really know how to like to talk about it. And they might also say that I, re I really don't know what to say to you. So I would say that there were many, many different um, ways that people dealt with it. And probably for my dad, it's he, he knows best because he's lived in that town and he's incredible. Mm. I, the way that he's dealt with it. And also, you know, I don't know, obviously, what other people have said or what they have, which assumptions they have made, might have made of us or our family, if they've even made some. But this of standing strong in, we know what happened. And also, it's not, people always try their best. And it is something, like that's why I'm here today, too, that we learn to be more natural in, in how we talk about our feelings in general, but people do the best with what they got. I just found that I I needed communities and spaces where I didn't have to handle other people's emotions, you know, when they didn't know how to talk about it. Like, no judgment on, on them at all. I just needed to be in spaces where I could cry or I could really honestly say how it felt and not having someone oh but you know it's gonna like wanting to fix it mm. like just being there with me in the pain going through that so but both has served its purpose in it um but i think it's it's that's a whole other conversation but how we listen to each other how are we able to be with each other in the when someone is in excruciating pain so we have we have cr as as a society or at least here in Denmark we have crossed that point where it's sort of okay to go as to a psychologist mm. it's not anymore so shameful uh, so it's it, we kind of know that people go use those services there are many psychologists around you see them around so it's kind of like okay But it's kind of like still, at least my perception, very often like, okay, so you've got a psychologist, so you've got your shit uh, covered, right? So we no longer need to talk about it, <laughs> yeah. you know, whereas with something of such a, a huge impact in your life, such a trauma, such a tragedy, you can't just channel it to a one hour conversation a week that you have with the psychologist, right? No. It is something where the a healing process can be something that takes months, years, and it it's it's really difficult to live ninety nine percent of the time as or let's say ninety eighty percent of the time as if you're okay and if everything everything is fine and you only have this twenty percent maybe your best friend maybe your brother or you know psychologist these few hours in a week where you can be truly yourself. So the reason why we are talking about it is to let people know that there is nothing you actually need to do mm. when you are surround when you are in a situation where you meet someone who is traumatized or who is in a big pain, in a big grief, there's nothing expected from you. 
you don't have to do anything you don't have to say anything the only thing you are kind of like invited let's say if i can put it this way is just be with that person yeah you don't even have to say anything just being there with that person is it can work wonders i'm i'm so grateful that you bring that point and really underlying it because it's yeah like it's all it takes and i know that's can be a lot for some people but really it is there's nothing expected just that you're actually willing to listen and and being in that space and that it's also for if, when we talk about healing that it's in the process i had to learn how to be with my feelings and also take responsibility for them like how how do i deal and i think that goes for many i'm not alone in that and and that doesn't this is extreme examples around suicide but it starts in in the little things and and that we also that we learn that like how do we how do we respond or deal with our feelings difficult feelings or emotions and so as as a part of it as a part of the healing yeah you did mention that of because of course you know it would be great if we could give some a uh, recipe to people mm -hmm. how you can be around someone who has Uh, experienced suicide from either way and of course there is no one recipe because people will have different needs and you yourself depending on which side which part of your journey you are in you had different needs Fully. along the way so it is not something that you can just say oh that's just what you can say or that's just what you can do there is there is not such recipe that uh, that we can give here the only thing that we want to bring on is suicide is also a part of life mm. this is also something that happens i heard at least you know i i haven't yet seen um the statistics for last year and hopefully it has not increased a lot but here in denmark in the small little tiny country compared to places where there are cities that are twice four five times as populated in this small country of just 5.6 million people two people a day commit suicide it's a part of life it is something where people meet this place in their life where they can no longer see how to come over through that pain come through that pain that they are experiencing so it's just to let you know it's a part of life like death is in general and such a difficult topic for many of us and i think that that is exactly the the crucial like also like death like we know that that is part of life but still talking about it and also with suicide like the the shame and guilt around it so i think many wouldn't even mention if they had those thoughts and realizing that it can also that until there's an action it's just thoughts but if we if we don't dare to talk about it or tell someone you know i i have these thoughts then it not that it necessarily goes away just often just the step that you tell someone you know what i'm actually 
in a in a space or with someone that you really trust um i do believe that that can be a huge part of it yeah of helping someone actually through that so that they can so we're not taking it away from them no. just you know okay so what would be your reaction if someone did come to you and tell you that they have those thoughts what would what would you how would you react how would you respond well first of all i would i as with everything when someone has the trust to to confide in me just really thank them really really from my heart that they had the courage to share about it to talk about it to come to me and talk about it so that would definitely be the first step no actions just okay let's let's talk about it like that would be that would definitely be the first thing so you would respond with uh, thanking them for their trust fully always yeah. with anything that is takes such an amount of courage to express yes yeah and then you would talk to them because uh, of course you are equipped <laughs> through mm. the experience and also through your own healing journey yes. uh, to be actually able to be with that sort of pain or that sort of yes i would say that i have the experience to to be with someone else yeah and yeah. what what could you kind of like i don't know advice to someone who does not know how to you know so if you're just a regular person and you have not met the topic before and you don't know how to be with this kind of feelings and someone shares something like that with you what would you tell them what would be a good way to respond like what would be a good way for them to respond to the other person yeah. well being honest again not pretending that you know or that you know what it feels like but again Okay, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm I'm willing to be here and to listen. So that could be in the moment, right? And then there are there are so many places now like uh, that we can uh, both seek help, but also counseling or uh, like Headspace for instance is a, is a free place for young people to go just to talk about there's no commitment. So I would say The first thing is to be honest about in the situation um and then seeking, you know, advice or or help from So if someone comes to you and shares that with you, you can just basically find the places where that person could talk about it and I guess it goes also towards a person that actually has those thoughts. Yes. If you have those thoughts, seek help. Yes. Definitely. Thank you so much, Sina, for um, for being here and for having the courage to share uh, your story and your mother's story. And of course, we did not manage to exhaust the topic. No, there's still yeah, yeah one hour is never enough. But thank you so much uh, for sharing your story. I think we got a lot of uh, the real reaction we can have in this kind of situation thank you for having me bye bye that five indeed is a magic number to catch up with our previous programs apply to be our guest 
send us your life challenge, or just to see how do we really look like, visit our website, the5options.com.